Welcome back to another episode of Whisk Pro Sports, a podcast that recaps the last week in the Packers, the Bucks, and the Brewers seasons. My name is Jesse McNamara. I am the host of this podcast. This is episode 13. You can find Whisk Pro Sports on Apple, Spotify, Google, pretty much everywhere. This podcast will be substantially shorter than the other ones just because the Packers had their first bye week of the season and there's almost nothing to talk about with them. The Bucks played just two games and the Brewers are uh, have made really no progress in the offseason. So we'll just get a quick recap done today and then uh, we can move on. We will begin, as always, with the Green Bay Packers. They had their bye week this week. It was week 11. It is the latest bye week that the Green Bay Packers have ever had in franchise history. It came at a pretty good time. I like the I like the late late season ones because a lot of times you have injuries this year. Really no injuries. That's pretty unheard of for the Packers, but it is nice to get that rest after 10 straight weeks of playing every single Sunday, Monday, or Thursday. So, and especially going into a Sunday night game, uh, the biggest game of the season for any team. It's just really convenient in that sense. In a bye week, the most you can really do is look at the rest of the league. We don't have any injuries that we are looking at to get healed up. There are just existing injuries like Devontae with the turf toe will never fully be healed again this season, but he still should be good to go for a while. The rest of the league, we can look at the division first, the NFC North. The Lions and the Bears are totally done. Uh, They didn't really have much life anyway. This week, they both lost. If you watched the Sunday night game with the Bears and the Rams, incredibly boring and entertaining at the same time in a weird way. Uh, But the Bears lost. If they won that, they could have gotten back to 500 and maybe made some noise. But along with the Vikings pulling out their win, it just kind of made everything moot. And it's it's a two-man race. We kind of knew that in the NFC North, and it's just that much more clear now. The Vikings played the Denver Broncos. The Broncos had a 20-0 to lead at halftime, and they blew it. The first time in NFL history out of, I believe, 100 games that a team has been up by 20 or more at halftime and lost that game. That's never happened. So kudos to the Vikings. They improved to 8-3 and instead of 7-4, and which is huge considering the Packers had their bye week at 8-2 and two and a loss would put them one and a half back instead of just the half. And they are going to their bye week as well, Minnesota is. So they will be seeing an 8-3 and three no matter what happens after next week. And that just makes it all that much more important for the Packers because they will be taking on the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday night football. They flexed into that game. They took out the Eagles and the Seahawks uh, about a week ago, actually, already. So this was highly anticipated two weeks in advance. It's the most anticipated game of the season. I don't know if it'll be the best game of the season. I'd say New England and Baltimore will probably hold that title for a while, but nobody anticipated that to be as good as it was. This is again that was flexed to Sunday night two weeks ahead of time. You don't really hear that. And you didn't expect it to be the 49ers. Maybe the Packers. I guess that's kind of they're always in the hunt for that, but the 49ers definitely didn't expect it. And for the 49ers to be the number one t- team in the NFC, that's just, that's crazy to me. So very cool. The Packers are the number two seed in the NFC. It could very well be the NFC championship. It also could be a game that determines who gets home field throughout the playoffs. 
in any way you look at it, it's an extremely important game for the Packers. And you got to feel really good about it because San Francisco has struggled a little bit recently. The 49ers, the last three weeks, have gone 2-1. and one. They did suffer their first loss of the season, not this week, but the week before. But in the past three weeks, they have played the sub-500 Cardinals. They played the Seahawks on Sunday Night Football. And then they played the Cardinals again. And in none of them uh, did they instill any fear into me. I was definitely scared of them before that because they put 51 on the Panthers, a team that the Packers really didn't put away the way I had hoped. So that did scare me, along with their defense just being one of the top of the league, probably top three. I'd say the Patriots have to be above them. I'm not sure who else you put up there, but the 49ers defense is definitely up there. And even with the struggles recently, they definitely are. But we are coming into a stretch where they have struggled. They squeaked out a three-point win against the Cardinals three weeks ago. They lost in a horrific overtime to the Seahawks. Both, either team should have won that. I mean, that that was just a ridiculous overtime. And then they, again, just barely squeaked out a fourth-quarter comeback against the Cardinals this week. So, all in all, I think we're looking pretty good going to this game. And again, this is a huge game. Very possibly first place in the playoffs. Got to keep pace in the division. Again, ahead of the Vikings. The the NFC playoffs are incredibly tight right now. Besides the Dallas Cowboys, who are 6-4 and four right now, every team is at least 8-3. and three. That's currently in right now. That's incredible. That's five, five of the seven highest records right now in the NFL are in the NFC. Obviously, the Cowboys are the one exception in the NFC that doesn't quite raise up to the top seven. But nevertheless... It's a crazy hard conference this year. We gotta, we gotta win these opportunities. This is a huge opportunity. Uh, off of a bye week, you've had time, plenty of time to plan. You're relatively healthy. You're facing a quarterback who just shouldn't give you that many problems. This is one the Packers need to win, and I think we need to fully expect it. Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks week, they got some really big news early last week after the podcast was recorded. Chris Middleton suffered a leg contusion in Sunday's game and will be missing around four to six weeks because of it. That's a really tough loss for the Bucks. They're outright number two player. They just signed him to a max contract over the summer, and he was playing well too. He was playing really well, and to have your number two score just unavailable for that amount of time in a early part of the season where it's kind of nice to, you know, build up those wins while teams are still trying to figure out their system. And especially because the Bucks fully know their system, they shouldn't have any of that, any of that time that other teams have to figure things out. It would be nice to have Chris Middleton around, but you can't always get what you want. The Packers are healthy. Of course, the Bucks just can't be. So looking back at the week without Chris Middleton, there was only two games, as I mentioned last podcast, they only played the Bulls and the Pacers Thursday and Saturday. They won both, of course, as we needed them to, as we expected them to. Against the Bulls, Giannis dropped 38 points on 13-24 shooting. He has continued to be the best player in the NBA. And I know Harden right now is averaging nearly 40 points a game. But Giannis is making 10.8 shots a game on 18.7 shots. Harden is making 10.8 shots on 25.7 shots like, attempts a game. 
if you didn't catch those numbers, that is the exact same amount of field goals made a game between Giannis and Harden. But Giannis does it on seven less attempts in a game. Harden is also averaging five more threes a game than any player in the NBA. Five. It's almost double. It's almost double. He's averaging 12 while the next is seven. So just keeping an early look at the MVP race because it's going to be Giannis and Harden again. It's Giannis even more clearly this year than it was last year. Aside from that, we're talking about the entire Bucks team. Eric Bledsoe has incredibly stepped up into Chris Middleton's role of a scorer. He didn't do it against the Pacers, but really nobody stepped up as a huge score against the Pacers besides Giannis, who had 26, still lower than he had been averaging all season and in the five games, six games before that. But nevertheless, all wins. The Bulls game was honestly, <clears throat> in a weird way, much better than the Pacers game, and it's really not the Pacers' fault. That one was – the Pacers game was a game that the Bucks had scheduled at the beginning of the season. I certainly had it scheduled because it was the turn of Malcolm Brogdon against the Milwaukee Bucks, the guy that so many fans believe that the Bucks should have paid the luxury tax to keep. They didn't. He moves on to Indiana. Malcolm Brogdon never really liked Milwaukee, the city itself, anyway. I would think it was a move – in the right direction for all parties involved, I think. I, well, I guess we'll see in due time for the Bucks. We know it was for the Pacers. But I really think he has some injury issues that are going to linger in his career, and I think that'll be the big factor that we just are going to find out eventually. That was the reason that we didn't want to pay the luxury tax. Still, they are a good team, a division rival of the Bucks. And they just had no offense to put together. They are still without their star, Victor Oladipo. They didn't have really anybody left. They didn't have T.J. McConnell. It was a tough night for them. They only got to 83 points. And while the Bucks only got to 102, that is plenty against a depleted Pacers team. And it just sums up a great week for the Bucks to go 2-0. Now that we are a few weeks in to the Bucks season, I think we can talk a little bit about who on the bench has been making a statement who has been earning their minutes, and who hasn't. I'd say in the group of earning their minutes, clearly Dante DiVincenzo, who got his first two starts of his NBA career this week in the absence of Chris Middleton, something that surprised a lot of people. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't surprising, I would say, but I guess it wasn't my expected starter. I thought it was going to be Sterling Brown, the other bench player who I fully was expecting to fall to the bottom of the lineup and has risen to one of the top bench guys. I was completely wrong on Sterling Brown, and I couldn't be happier because he is one of those young guys we drafted. He started to develop a couple years ago. He was definitely getting better last year and then took that drop off and never really found it again. He's back this year. He's looking better, and him and Dante taking up those young guard positions, that's really huge for us right now in the absence of Malcolm Brogdon. Along with those two, veteran Kyle Korver has definitely found a spot. He is not scared to shoot the three, and a lot of the times it's gone in. He did struggle against the Pacers. He went over five. He has had some struggling games, but overall he has been a huge asset, especially for Giannis on the kickout. Other than that, it hasn't been overly impressive from the bench. I would say Ursan hasn't really shown what he needs to. Robin hasn't really shown anything. And I don't know if that's really that big a deal, to be honest. I don't think I think I'm being overly harsh on our bench compared to other teams around the NBA. I realize that not a lot of people actually watch the Bucks, let alone watch all NBA teams. 
but I try to watch more NBA teams and I think we're just spoiled in the depth we have. If you look at a team like the Philadelphia 76ers, their starting five is unmatched in the NBA other than maybe shooting, but you can get by with what they have. Their bench is nowhere to be found. And as a result, they're already struggling out of the gate this year. And especially when their starters have injury issues, it just makes a huge mess for them. So while I do feel critical of the Bucks bench right now, and we're still very early into the season, I think we do have a bench that is above average. We have Giannis, who is the best player in the league, and we have a proven coach, a proven system that works. I think we just have a nice little leg up on the rest of the league right now when we didn't have to make the same turnover that almost every other contending team had to. Now for a quick little look ahead for the Bucks in the next week before our next Monday's podcast. Tonight, Monday night, they take on the Chicago Bulls yet again in Chicago. That should be a win. Then we travel to Atlanta, take on Trey Young in the Hawks on Wednesday, 6.30. Another should be win. Thursday, the second game of the back-to-back, they come all the way back from Atlanta to Pfizer Forum to play in Milwaukee against the Portland Trailblazers, who are definitely a good team, but again, should be a win. And then Saturday, we get to play the Detroit Pistons, the rivalry game. The rematch of last year's first round of the NBA playoffs with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, Luke Kennard, Tony Snell. Some people call it the Detroit Bucks with Tony Snell, Don Maker, Christian Wood. They have a lot of former Bucks players, and they're not very good overall as a team. So it looks like a 4-0 week. It should at least be a 3-1 week because that's kind of what we're looking for in the Bucks every week. If they have four games, you look to win three, and I expect four. Lastly, just a quick little touch-up on the Brewers. They have made some coaching changes, nothing too major yet. We can talk about that more later when we get close to the season, how it will affect the team. One thing I do just want to mention, I am not sure how out there this story's gotten. I'm not sure how viral it's gone, but at least for the Houston Astros, it's gone crazy viral. Lots of stories Lots of reports that the Astros have been stealing signs for some time now, using cameras in their home stadiums to relay it to the bull, or not to the bullpen, or the bullpen, or the dugout, and uh, using different different ways to communicate that to the batters um, to give them which pitch is coming. It's definitely illegal. It's not to say sign stealing is illegal. You can definitely try it. Uh, it usually doesn't work because what is illegal is using any form of technology to do it, which is what the Astros are accused of. Along with the Astros, a few other teams have been accused. One of those at the top of the list is the Milwaukee Brewers. This has caused some Twitter Twitter wars between you and Christian Yelich, you Darvish Christian Yelich. Nothing's too super serious, but there are definitely a lot of questions surrounding it. People are... Now going back to review game tapes to see if they can find anything. I, as a Brewers fan, am zero percent worried about it. What have we ever? When have we ever shown that we picked up a sign? I guess I don't. I don't see a moment where we were like, "Oh, they clearly were picking up signs. They were raking for this stretch at home and not on the road." We haven't achieved things like the Astros have. The Astros have gotten to the World Series 
nearly every year for like forever, what it seems like. They just keep going to the World Series. The Brewers, on the other hand, got close last year and lost in the one-game playoff this year. So in terms of just our success, I am not worried about this report. I also think that Milwaukee just uh, – maybe that's just me being a homer, and it probably almost definitely is, but I really don't think we did that. I think they know that our fans would react probably harsher to it than a lot of other fan bases. And in a time when you really just need to be focused on the offseason, on rebuilding this team to be a contender yet again somehow, this just isn't something that we should have to worry about until there's actually something concretely to worry about. That'll wrap up this short Wispro Sports podcast. It'll be longer next week. I enjoy it when it's longer. It's more fun to talk about all these teams when they're when they actually have things to talk about. Just so happens there's not really much to get into in terms of recaps. So next week the Packers will be back. The Bucks will have a full four game schedule, and maybe the Brewers will do something noteworthy in a more positive way. But thank you guys for listening. And I will see you guys next Monday.